0: another episode of Crossover Commerce. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is my corner of the internet where I bring the best and brightest in the Amazon and e-commerce space. Don't want to leave any of them out because that's what we'll be talking about today, omnichannel diversification. But before we get started, this is a live podcast. So if you are tuning in via watching on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, Go ahead and submit your questions or let us know where you're watching from by just putting it in the comment section, pressing send. We'll see that on our end. And in engaging with myself and our guests today, if you have questions that come up along the way, um, clarification, uh, just smart aleck remarks. We love all those things here on Crossover Commerce. So if you have any of those, you can do those by putting them in the comment section. Um, if you're not catching us live or w- listening to us on the podcast version, you can also engage with our Uh, our guests or myself, and you'll be able to get that contact information at the end of the episode. But other than that, this uh, episode as well as every episode leading up to this one is presented by Ping Pong Payments. Ping Pong Payments is helping more customers save time, money and effort by sending and receiving localized currency um, and making more money be uh, less cost, uh, more cost effective and putting margins and percentage points back to their bottom line. They can do that by free account signups, and when you receive localized currency or currency from different marketplaces around the world, whether it be Australia, Japan, Mexico, Canada, Europe, uh, the UK, you can receive that and don't have to pay those fees that Amazon always charge you. So it's it's one of those things where you actually get a lot more control over. Sign up with a free ping pong account. And today you can do that by going to usa.pingpongx.com forward slash podcast. That being said, again, episode 179, we're recording this on November 12th, so a Friday, and uh, we're we're in the midst of obviously Q4, and there's lots of different things that are happening on. Obviously, lots of people are focused on sales, um, their numbers for Q4, making sure that they last with inventory throughout the remainder of the year. Uh, lots of things going on. There's lots of events that just ended um, a couple days ago with AMZ Innovate. Um, I know that there was AMZ Live in Orlando. Lots of different things going on. But as the year kind of caps off. Lots of different people are already making plans and by people, I mean brands, businesses that are going to be expanding and making plans to diversify into the future and not just doing it now, but they're playing for already spring, summer, and into 2022 well in advance to make sure that their brand is going to be diversified and the growth plan is being built now. So what does that mean? Why is it important to to do this now? We're going to be talking about that with our guest today. Um, what we, which is why we obviously named this episode. Um, let, let me go ahead and say, I brought it up already. Uh, the importance of channel diversification. That, that's what we already had uh, written down and what we named this episode. So, that being said, I wanted to bring on a person who's lived diverse backgrounds. We were talking pre show, diverse different business operations opportunities, and now is helping people grow on Amazon, but also other channels as well. His name is Talal Asad of Brand Together and invited him on to talk about diversifying your brand in e-commerce, whatever that looks like. So without further ado, let's welcome on to Crossover Commerce outside, Talal, welcome to uh, Crossover Commerce.
1: How are you? Thanks, Ryan. I'm I'm pretty impressed that you guys have 179 episodes. That's it's quite a lot. Like you've passed the like, we're just doing this for fun into like, this is a legit operation here. <laughs> this
0: is, this is a machine. I've already established this with other people who come on the show. It's a machine now. You can't stop it. We're full, uh, full fledged, but I enjoy this. This is the thing of with podcasting or talking with people like this. And I jokingly say this, I've only met one person on the show in person. So this is some p- a way to feel normal and uh, getting to meet people in events or anything like that until. Whenever that is, probably 2022 at this point, since events have wrapped up, but it's a pleasure having you on here. And uh, we we're talking pre-show about all the different things that you're doing as a business owner now, but have dabbled in so many different things in the past. I'm curious for people who aren't aware of you or just don't know your background, what, what's that background look like? And how do we get to now Amazon, I would call it agency or e-commerce agency, if you will.
1: But boutique consultancy maybe (laughs) that's fancy. I
0: love that. I'm going to use that now boutique consultancy
1: boutique consultancy. Um, so yeah, my, my background has been, you know, as we talked about a little bit before this, just like a lot of, uh, a lot of meandering into eventually what became e-commerce, um, started out with, uh, just doing marketing in college. I, I started marketing and entrepreneurship, um, and uh, and I also tried to study Arabic as well because, like, I figured, you know, I'm coming from Jordan. I can speak pretty decent Arabic. Turns out Arabic, my lowest grades in college were in Arabic. <laughs> <laughs> so that was not the easy A I was expecting. um But, yeah, so just kind of right out of college, uh, started working for Nielsen, which is the largest market research firm. Um, and we did basically uh, what was called the Basies division of Nielsen and that was like the Booz Allen sales estimation system, really, really cool system. And if you're familiar with pickfoo it was like pickfoo on steroids. And uh, it was essentially every single CPG conglomerate that, you know, before they launched their products, they launched them through us first at Basies. Wow. And so they would That's say, awesome. we're going to have a new Gatorade, or we're going to have a new, you know, pet food extension. And so, we would do like the market research for them where you would say, okay, here's one version of what this would look like. Here's another version of what this would look like. And how much are we going to sell in year one? And we would get them to, at the time, this was 10, 11 years ago, 12 years ago. You get them to within 80% of their first year sales. uh, Oh, sorry. Within 15% of their first year sales, 80% of the time, which was by far the highest sales estimation that anyone could do at the time. Um, But it was really cool because that got me really interested into CPG. And then at that point you start to see, okay, when people are launching new products, what's the words that are working for them? Like, what are the taglines that we chose? Um, I was in their new video game division at the time as well. So they were going away from CPG and into more like, can we do this across more entertainment assets? And so like lots of video games that were launched by EA and, and whatnot, like I saw them before they launched and we gave them an estimate on them and it was fun. But around that same time, a really good friend of mine uh, was um, starting up his hip hop career um, in London. And he was like, hey, do you want to come manage it for me? And I was 23. I was like, yeah, or 22. I think even at the time I was like, yes, of course. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Yeah. So I did that for a while. Um, Very difficult to launch a Hip hop career, FYI. I don't know if anyone has tried, <laughs> especially you're when it's like. Listening
0: to this and you're thinking about it, we advise <laughs> not. To do
1: I it. advise against it, uh especially in a foreign country uh where you just like really don't know <laughs> how to navigate anything. um At the time, Entourage was a really big show, and this was 2009. So, like at the time, I was like, "Yeah, I could totally do this." And then I realized like it takes a special someone for sure. Um, but from there, meandered on to going to um, health information technology, uh, worked for my sister's best friend's company, and he was starting it up. Um, and it was doing pretty well. And it was a health. it was mostly health information technology, but it was also a very kind of diverse technology company. Like you you were able to use kind of the the, the framework of this, the SAS um, into multiple different things. So we used it in banking, and we used it in like telephony and everything as well. But HIT was kind of like the, the main the main portion of it. And it was really cool, because he had a really different way of looking at business. And so all the way up until, you know, 24, 25 year old Talal was like, yeah, business should be like, cutthroat, and we're all gonna kill each other. And it's gonna be fun. And his whole entire approach was way, way different. And I think that that's kind of instilled a lot of what I have today was in terms of like why you can do things cooperatively and you can be like really good friends with your competition and be really good friends with your, with your, you know, your clients as well. Like you don't have to make everything so like cut and throat business. And you know maybe, maybe that's the difference between like how people become like multimillionaires and billionaires and not. And, but like, as long as you're comfortable with making a decent living and you're able to like sleep at night, you know, I think it was a really cool thing. And, what he ended up doing was taking this like super, super high quality enterprise level health information technology that most, most hospitals would pay hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to maintain. And he offered it to indigent care communities. Um, so like farm worker healthcare and to community health centers in a cooperative basis saying like, you know, if you can't afford it, that's fine. Try to write us into your contract when you can. And, uh, that whole cooperative kind of nature is how I run my agency today, which is brand together and trying to make things like as easy as possible for, for both our clients and our, and our, and our, you know, even with our competition being very, very open with how we discuss stuff. And I think that that's a cool thing that you notice a lot in, in our level, I guess, of, of the Amazon consultants is just like, people really share a lot of information and and are very cooperative. And that's why I really like working with in, in this, in this industry right now.
0: That's amazing. Well, I mean, that I, I take a lot of things away from what you had said in, the, in that introduction and and thank you for that kind of in-depth look at it because as business people, no matter what industry we might be in, it actually, you can take all these principles and build it on top of each other. And you said a lot of things that I take away. We're in a lot of groups that are just throwing ideas around with pe- each other of, hey, did you, did you see this uh, for this client or I'm noticing this for this clientele? Um, and a lot of people don't catch us to different things because obviously in the Amazon world, we're not omnipresent. We, we we don't know everything that's going on. We have our hands in lots of different things or notice different things too, which is why I think collaboration, no matter if you're technically competing with yourself of agencies, like you said, your boutique agency versus someone else who's managing a book of business that's a billion dollars in uh, PPC or someone's doing uh, as something else in terms where we all kind of cross over with each other. We're all still helping each other. And I think at the end of the day, it's helping consumers or business owners grow, which is why I think that's where we all align with each other. Would you agree with that?
1: Totally. Yeah. I mean, the, the pie is so big, right. And not everyone is going to be able to like, no one agency can do everything and no one agency can service every single client. And it, a lot of times it's when agencies take on too many clients is when their service Declines pretty significantly, um, and I've been on both sides of this, right? I've also worked uh, prior in between this health information technology and the, and 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 uh, brand together. I also worked at a DSP before anyone really knew what a DSP was, right? Now it's kind of like the sexy word everyone's throwing it around, and it's like I saw how the sausage is made, right? Like I was <laughs> I was running Walmart's uh, you know banner ads. I, I know it's not a pretty place if you really know how how it really works. Um, and so it's uh, and then from there, I, I worked in CPG again, working for an energy drink company for for two and a half years as the second employee or third employee and running their Amazon and Shopify and everything is where we're going to probably meander into it at some point talking about that. But, um, you know, I've, I've hired, I've been on the agency side, I've hired agencies, and now I'm agency again, right? And so like, I know kind of how that struggle always is. And as you try to scale agencies, you notice that service declines pretty significantly. Um, which is why I've like so far have like a moratorium on, on new clients right now. And it's you have to preserve, you can't just keep saying yes to everything because you clearly will have capacity issues. And that's why it's so great to create these like networks of friends and and colleagues who, when you are at a capacity issue, you say, Hey guys, like I have this and this client does any, you know. And, that's that's kind of like the the stuff that I've been setting up right now is trying to find ways to, when I hear like a really cool company that I like, and I just don't have the time for them, it's, I'm, I'm glad that I know that there's trusted people out there that I know who do a really good job and, and you know, have them have bit, be able to bid on that business.
0: Absolutely. and our, and, th- and that's why I think is really important too with this industry is it, you don't want it to be something where you take on so much and the quality diminishes. And I've heard people who've, who've had certain capacities, which If their business is, if they're taking on so much and they're going to say, yes, I'm going to have my hands on it and they have to actually push it onto a colleague's or an associate's plate. Um, and they don't have the same insights or look at it still a good job, but they don't have that capability and that same touch that you do. That might come off differently to a client or someone who's paying you to do those kinds of those pieces of work. So is that something that you always have the balance of, I want to have my hands on everything. And when I start to push it on more and more people, then the quality of work, like you had mentioned, diminishes. And to you, that's the most personal thing. Instead of growing, scaling, bringing in all sorts of clientele and money, what's that fine balance for
1: you? Yes. You're like my therapist today. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> have <That's what>
0: people <laughs> come on these podcasts So all It's because they need to talk out and vent out their frustration. <laughs> but I get to learn things in the meantime. So our audience is going to learn about all these different things. But yeah, it, it, it's one of those things where I always see people. What, what's that balance to people? of? do you find one, do you find yourself in a group that other people are not quite often and that boutique setting instead of the growth setting?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's definitely a a journey and like a self, like a self, you know, we were talking earlier about grass is greener on the other side. And I'm thinking sitting here have a bunch of 20 to 60% complete like software projects that I've been like working on for years. And then you just don't have the time for them. And I'm like, man, I want to get into SaaS, And then earlier you were like, man, I really like the, the, the consulting side is really cool. And it's everyone I feel like always says (laughs) the opposite. Um, but when it comes to growing and scaling and everything, I, I will always imagine that brand together will remain a small boutique type agency, um, at most. And if anyone's out there who has a small boutique type agency, one, two people, like I'm always looking for someone who I feel like I can eventually like partner with, or at least have a, like a, If it's not a a true partnership, but like a very close collaboration, um, because that's what I really want to grow this into is like one big, good collab agency, or I, you know, we don't know what the right word is here. Not quite a cooperative, not quite a, not quite an agency, not quite a consultancy, but some way that we can sit there and, and, and really service our clients. Because at the end of the day, that's the most important thing, right? The dollar in my pocket is great. And I want more of them (laughs) like everyone does. But you can't do that at the at the expense of your clients because, you know, we may not have like a legal fiduciary responsibility, but we do have a fiduciary responsibility to our clients and their, their number one, their ROI, their, you know, their bang for their buck, you know, is, is so much more important than, than my own. And I feel like if you were to talk to any of my clients, they would, they would say that like I re- consistently Tell them to stop spending budget or lower bid or something in, that would hurt my model right but at the end of the day it's more important for them to be happy and to be in in the positive territory or else it's just it's just not worth it it's right. kind of it's scammy, it frankly at that point and that's that's something that i really just dis, really disliked about seeing how a lot of advertising agencies work is they always always and it's just Amazon is a great example of it right Amazon shoots out this email every beginning of November late October saying make sure to up your budgets and spend more and it's like we know and then they say display and people use the word top of funnel right top of funnel is just a way to tell people to spend more money (laughs) at the end of the day like you better have expensed every single bottom funnel thing before you go to top of funnel and optimized everything bottom of funnel. Because at that point, you're you're basically selling impressions and selling clicks, and that's just you're selling you're selling dollars, right? You're selling traffic, and that's if it's not qualified and it's not smart and you don't have the money to spend it, you shouldn't spend it.
0: So I have a question in that regard. So we're talking about diversification today, and again, for everyone who's watching this on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, if you have a question, feel free to send this in. Look, we even got and I appreciate the introduction. Someone's looking for a tech co-founder, host of CTO. If they're interested, Sunny, uh, we'll leave this up here, but uh, Talal and I do not have time for that position. But if they're as interested, people go, <laughs> we're already getting job offers or people are looking for this like more. We're trying to network people amongst this uh, this podcast. So for we're talking about diversification and I'm going to throw out the banner just to kind of prompt people if they have questions. Diversification means a lot of different things, right? It can be within one marketplace and you have lots of different products, kinds of products you're selling, or you have one product, one SKU, one ASIN, whatever you want to call it. And it's in multiple different places that you can buy it. Shopify, BigCommerce, eBay, Amazon, the list goes on and on. And there's quite frankly, a ton of different marketplaces that product itself could be sold. Sold what does diversification mean to you and your agency and how do you help clients get to
1: that point
0: when you're selling yourself or trying to sell them in terms of diversification?
1: Sure. Um, I think people are starting to notice it finally um, in, in especially around the Amazon side of things where everything used to be like, I'm building a business and it's on Amazon and it's almost all of our, almost all of our revenues on Amazon. It's like at the end of the day, do you truly have a business? And the answer is yeah, of course, like you are transacting and yeah, you do have a business and you're you're making money and hopefully now there with with the rise of aggregators you can maybe, you know, try to to exit it. Um but you will inevitably make money that way not inevitably sorry you could very possibly make money that way
0: right In more likely ways. than not you more won't likely
1: make money that yeah way. well i mean maybe more likely than not you won't make money but if you have your stuff together more likely than not you'll do a good stuff you'll, competent, you'll do good you can sell you
0: have a good product yeah there, there's a lot of basis you have to have we're not saying it's guaranteed this is not a you will make money on amazon no matter what
1: just throw a product on their bubble Right, well, that's we've down that the case anymore. That was a long time ago. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Yeah. Now, at this point, though, it's been very clear to us. Amazon has has made it extraordinarily clear to everyone: is it's Amazon's business. They can shut you down for any moment, and more times than not, it's a false positive reason. If you have a real brand, it's a false positive reason. If you're doing retail arbitrage and stuff, and like you're selling counterfeity stuff, like that's another story. We don't we don't need to go into that. But if you have a real brand and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. If you get a suspension from Amazon, and at least this is the case with me and my clients, nine out of 10 times, it's not a true term of service issue. It's something that Amazon messed up. And because of that, you are getting hurt. So if your entire book of business or the majority of your revenue is coming from Amazon and you're offline or your main ASINs are offline for anywhere from one to you know 21 days plus <laughs> like that's it you're you're basically if cash flow is an issue for you you're done right <laughs> or or at least you have to sit there and find an emergency loan or something that that can bridge you over but for the most part you're you're basically you're dead in the water and so that's where diversification comes really important and that's where it comes like the reframing of your mindset of is amazon supposed to be your main revenue sales channel and i'm working a lot with with brands who back in 2015, 2016, even before that, 2010, 2011, 2012, did have the majority of their business come from, from Amazon. But we've been working really, or they internally, I, I won't say like I'm spearheading that with them a lot because a lot of the brands I work with do have kind of like machines behind them and they're working behind the scenes, but have done a really good job of starting to wean off of Amazon and really focus on building their brand and building their own internal native channels. And so that would be like a Shopify or a Commerce or you know a custom build of some sort. Um, But that, for me, channel diversification, the hub of that should be your own Shopify channel. And that should be the goal of every single true business, of every single true CPG company. And CPG is also defined always weird. Some people define CPG as like FM CPG, which is fast moving, which is typically like grocery is probably the, the closest thing to that. But at the end of the day, if you're sending a product and it's going, it, it is a CPG product. It could just be like a slower moving one. Um, but anyway, sorry, I'm, I, I, I digress. No,
0: all the, well, all the, no, and that's the thing too, is when you, when you give me the topics to cover, I think that there was so much to cover in these regards of, I feel like that there's theres two schools of thought. You can sell on Amazon and only sell on Amazon. And I'm gonna ebb and flow and take what Amazon gives me. And that's my business model. That was, I. I've already seen over the last two years, and you mentioned aggregation of businesses, accelerators, whatever you want to call it. There's these stems of businesses that are helping people grow and take a brand and grow. It It didn't make sense to me personally, not representative of any other business. didn't make sense for me personally to stake your business model on just singular growth in one marketplace when it, you don't own it. Does that make sense? Where 100%. you don't ha- own the customer, you don't own the traffic you own the conversion because of either history or because it's a good quality product, which are the basis of a brand. A brand would be selling not just on Amazon, but also owning its own customer and own website where you can have a loyal following. People can be advocates for yourself. You can own a email list. You can own that that brand itself in-house. And then also you can sell directly to retail where a majority of commerce is still happening. Quite frankly, it's what 15% of all commerce is happening on e-commerce, 40% of is on Amazon, but there's still lots of retail happening. So again, that's that third pillar. I always tell people you have Amazon, you have your consumer-based or your direct-to-consumer, and then you also have wholesale or retail or uh, direct-to-consumer through wholesale. Why are people now just... Why were they not looking at that model holistically? Instead, they were just baking on that, but now all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait a minute, maybe we should look at brands that do have a healthy off of Amazon sale. Like, Where did that initial shift come from, do you think? Because you probably hear the same news and reports that I do of Now people are starting to look at brands that are established off of those kinds of, not 90% on Amazon or 100% on Amazon sales, but they actually have an establishment off of Amazon. And that skew is becoming more apparent.
1: Yeah. And I'm actually kind of surprised that that wasn't the model to begin with, frankly, because building an off Amazon company that does scale profitably and really well, that means you you put in a lot more work than building one on Amazon for the most part, because you have to sit there and you have to cultivate a company and you have to like cultivate a brand and loyalty (laughs) and you have to work a lot harder on your PR. You have to work a lot harder on more difficult ad types such as like whether it's working through i mean not even ads in general like i i think a lot of the the companies that i know that do really well off amazon don't do a lot of like digital advertising they they just really have developed really good communities um that are able to push their sales through um you know micro and and nano influencers and just community in general before it was even called influencers that was just called community right <laughs> um, fans 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 evangelists <laughs> you know there's tons of tons of names for these types of people um but yeah and so people you know on Amazon is a captive network and the, the people's wallets are out so it's it's just a much lower bar to be able to sell on Amazon right True. and so if you have been able to sell successfully off Amazon that means you put in more work for the most part, um, or you just had a great product, right? And you just lucked out <laughs> on something incredible that got picked up and and people know about. Um, but yeah, so that's why I think people who are in the Amazon mindset stayed in the Amazon mindset because it's, it's a little comfortable. Like it's, you know your problems, you know how to fix, you know how to try to fix them. <laughs> um, I could say Amazon has gotten a little bit worse in the last few years in terms of like, how they deal with their sellers um I think it was really bad and then it got better and then it got really bad again and I think a lot of that had to do with COVID and just constraints in general with how many supply you know how many seller support people can you possibly hire and then you allow everyone on Amazon at the same time I remember in 2016 there was a moratorium on like starting like September they wouldn't allow any new people on FBA for Q4 do you remember that like I do Am- Why doesn't Amazon do things like that again? Like Amazon should have stopped sellers at some point because they they clearly can't handle the amount of sellers that are coming in. And um, not really everyone deserves to sell. Like, I know it's kind of the opposite of what a lot of people, I think a lot of software companies, like they try to sell their software, right? So their whole entire shtick is anyone can do everything and Joe Schmo can do this and that sorry, but that's so not true. <laughs> and, and it's right. unfortunate because you're kind of, you're trying to sell a, a software. And then at the same time, by selling software, what you're doing is you're telling everyone can do everything. And that's just not the case. And I see a lot of times when we talk to some brands and I'm just like, it's, I don't think it's, I don't think your product is good. Or like, I don't think it's going to be worth, <laughs> worth uh, worth going online. Or, you know, you might need to find someone that can do a little bit more handholding. Um, but going back to kind of the differences between, Shopify and an Amazon and stuff like at least the barrier to entry on Amazon was just a little bit less than it is on, Mm -hmm. on your own native channel.
0: Right. And it makes sense, right? Uh, if people want to do it quickly or effectively, the data is there, you have the tools in place to find that, find that potential product or software or solution, or, you know, product in general that will solve a problem, but it's all iterations on already successful things. So it's just a, a. oversimplifying it. It's just a finding things that work and then just making it a little bit different, which again is, is entrepreneurship and, and product development. But in general, if people's goals are building a brand, their goal can be starting on Amazon. There's just not a lot of people that look at, oh, doing my own direct-to-consumer channel is hard, or I have to do completely different. Like I have to, do, I have to drive traffic to my website. I have to put in more effort and time. I have to make things look right. I have to check out, have all these things that look nice on checkout and um, kind of keep people's at the top of mind when I'm not already there at the bottom of the funnel waiting for people to just put me into their car and then check out. It, it, it's, it seems like that there was the people that are exiting businesses, and this this is my generalization, people are exiting their businesses or people that are now cashing in. They were there at the end of early 2014 and 15. They were putting products online. It was easy for them to compete, take over, build that establishment. And now the fruits of their labor are, I can just leave now. And it's now too hard to do anything different. Does that make sense? Where Amazon has completely changed its fundamental of trying to stand out has become tougher more than any, more than ever of any more money and me, need more ways to get people's eyeballs on you. And they're starting to block off all these different ways that people used to be able to find products, whether it be, um, coupons or rebates and things like that. And the old launch strategies. Now they're like, Hey, we're going to direct people to your brand. Um, and they're trying to make more different ways for people to come up through and it's become harder to figure it out. People are just abandoning ship. Does that make sense? Is that what you're seeing with a lot of customers? They would that are having difficult either starting on Amazon or breaking through on Amazon.
1: Uh, yeah, I would say that. Um, so for the ones who are exiting, like great. I think that that's that's phenomenal um, because you you did bear the fruits of your labor at the time, and like I think a lot of people do get burned out too. And I think at that point, it might be really smart to cash out and uh, and go find out the next thing. Go start the next thing, right? Cuz like clearly you have an entrepreneurial spirit enough to have <laughs> built something, exited, got your monies and then you can go and 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 move on. Um so for me like I'm I'm like thrilled for for the groups that are that are exiting at this stage. Um in terms of just kind of viewing or how to view Amazon at this point in 2021, I Try to coach a lot of the brands that I work with to view Amazon as a marketing channel, not as a sales channel. What it is, it's a margin positive marketing channel. It's your po- it's the only margin positive marketing channel you will probably ever have. like true, true positive, right? Where there's like actual real revenue coming from from what you're doing. Um, but then that investment should then be made at refining the brand and then working on capturing off Amazon clients or customers. Um, but then we talk about other channel diversification, right? Of course, Walmart is starting to make, it's It's finally starting to like make up <laughs> a piece of the business that's worth dealing with their version of, of seller support, which is infinitely worse in my opinion. Um, it's so funny. Walmart could overnight overtake Amazon from like a seller's perspective, maybe not from a customer's yet, but if all they did was say, okay, what are all the annoyances that happen on Amazon? And how can we just not do that? How can we just make the best seller support possible? But what happened was they bought Jet. And then Jet and Walmart.com, the two teams did not mesh well at all. Nope. <laughs> and uh, they basically killed Jet, put everyone under .com. And the people that they hired at Jet were, I have no idea why they bought it. It was like, they could have built exactly that. Was the that. Big, that was
0: the bell of the ball back in 2015 when it happened. Because that was I'm, a two billion two billion dollar acquisition that it was so much promise it was its own marketplace it was the delivering capabilities and then just unreal
1: what a flop and like it's so funny because like you have the smartest people in the room right in bentonville sitting there and discussing this purchase of 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 jet and like how did they anyone who was selling on jet could have told you this was going to be a (laughs) going to be an absolute disaster at the time um I think I think even the CEO of Jet.com became the CEO of Walmart.com and ended up having like more shares than the CEO of Walmart.com at some point and was worth more. And it was just like crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, but anyway, anyone who has sold on jet can tell you like the people that they hired as like buyers were not they were glorified seller support people and just did not know what they were doing. They were like kids out of college and had no, no clue what they were doing. And um, but now it looks like Walmart's starting to get its stuff together a little bit better. Um Still not a great system, and you know you would hope after six seven years that they would have figured it out, but they still haven't really figured it out. But that's another diversification, right? That's some something just in case something goes down. There's another thing. Um,
0: there's growth that's happening there, I believe. Absolutely, it five thousand new sellers that came on just on Walmart.com alone, and a lot of people are if they, if they aren't succeeding on Amazon, I think it's that trickle effect of all right. Well, let's find a different channel to either take advantage of, manipulate, sell on, whatever you want to call it. And that that became the second tier. Second tier, I think of not on Amazon.com, and Amazon's not going to be fruitful for me. I'm going to go to Amazon or Walmart.com. So yeah. it's interesting. Everyone's like, "Wait, give Walmart some time. Give it some time." It feels like it's been that way for a year or two. I, is that is that chain really pushing hard for um, customers to go into?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely growing, and I I would suggest being in there earlier rather than later if you have the capacity or if you have good people that can help you. Um, with it. Um, which I don't know if you've ever had Michelle on this call before, but she does a really good job on Walmart and she's been someone who I've, I've loved working with, <laughs> um, I'll have to get
0: around and talk about Walmart. Yeah. She more, could yeah.
1: talk about Walmart for sure. I'll, I'll send you the details for her later, but like, she's, uh, that that's the thing is finding the, someone who's willing and ready to navigate that because it's, it's not an easy thing to do on your own. And everyone who I work with on Walmart um who's done it on their own have basically said like I uh, we don't really care about Walmart and then you're like well maybe it's time to start <laughs> to start caring because especially if you've already been greenlit for an account there's just not that many people have yet. So it's still that it's kind of like sponsored brand videos in 2018, right? Where if you're if you're doing them, you're gonna do pretty well just by being there.
0: <laughs> by just being the first to market. Yeah. It, yeah. That that's what I'm thinking is a lot of people I would rather be first to market and be in that Capability of maybe it's not a big lift, but if you're first to market it's that establishment of, Hey, I'm here. It, it starts to build that reputation instead of, Hey, be a part of the wave and you get, you get uh, missed in the the mess of it all. If that makes sense. Where if you're first to market, it's hard to like, there's no other option. They're going to go with you. So there's the opportunity to capture and be beneficial in that regards too, which is why I think Walmart's really positive And that's why to market in different uh amazon marketplaces is always intriguing for people of hey i may not be a big lift but first to market means something in certain capacities in two or three years down the road maybe it is a five percent of my yearly revenue or things like that so that's why i'm you don't want to stretch yourself too thin but also why it's interesting like you said to all is each different marketplace has to have its own set of like basically its own team at this juncture and that's why people are stretch across the board of, hey, if I'm an aggregator, for example, again, this is at scale and I have 200 brands, we're really good at Amazon, but if we wanted to do the same thing for uh, Shopify, for example, that's a whole nother team, theoretically, that you would have to train on the brand, get really good at it and have its own separate team. So basically doubling the efforts that you're already putting into a specific brand, which is really hard for people to put that investment in when it might not be the same lift as Amazon. So do you see that all the time with other companies and agencies or is it, is that something I'm making up here on the spot?
1: Yeah. I mean, I haven't, I wouldn't say it's a full doubling of efforts, but there is definitely, there's some overlap that you can have between, especially if you have really good people. I think that's maybe something to talk through too, is just like the talent glut that's out there right now. (laughs) Um, It's very hard to find really good people in e-commerce because they're all attached to either a company or attached or hired yeah um and so unfortunately i I feel like people can pretty much name their price at this point um if they're really good at what they do in e-commerce and so trying to develop like raw you know out fresh out of college talent is is not like you need a lot of time and dedication and effort to it and then you have to really realize very quickly the people who can and can't do the work um And without like a really good mentor or someone who knows what they're really doing or sending people to these conferences and like really getting them to, to train up. It's, it's, you know, that's the reason why I learned is because I was able to learn on someone else's dime for two years, right. On a company's dime (laughs) or like a bad thing. And alone, I would have never figured it out, you know, I mean maybe, but it, it wouldn't have been the same thing. And a lot of people who are running it as a brand, a lot of entrepreneurs, like they just like building their, or not entrepreneurs, but I would say like in CPG or product development, like a lot of people fall into a couple different, I would say silos. Like there's some product people who just want to be inventors and create what they create and then have no idea how to sell it. And there's people who are like sellers who are like sitting there. And I would say the, the opportunistic type people who sit there and go through, you know, x-ray and, and the new product explorer tool and, you know, jungle scout and whatnot, and try to find a niche product and then try to do that but then maybe they come up short and actually developing the product. And so, and then the third, right? It's like the support part of it, <laughs> like sitting there and actually being able to get through all of the, all how of the stuff soars, like buzz- How to get it sourced, how to get it to, yeah. exactly.
0: Well, it's <laughs> so, not the thing. You're starting to see these, these industries like really branch into its own, somewhat entities, right? Of uh, sourcing logistics is becoming this really big, it's hot now because. People, everyone across the board, no matter if you're in e-commerce or just in retail or whatever it is, it's all being affected by one major thing is how do I get my goods from point A to point B in any every, everywhere in between and make sure it's streamlined and effective. And that's why you see just major hirings. People want to get it figured out first because you don't want to sit on a boat for 120 days or having it sit in a, in a warehouse and it can't get to last mile delivery or anything like that if you're filling yourself. There's all these different issues that are really stemming and that's where innovation is really, really starting to become apparent more than ever. Are you, are you, what in diversification, like in terms of what you're seeing now, you've been in the space, what is the most troubling part of where we are sitting as an industry now? And what is the most exciting part in terms of where people are innovating as well? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use innovation as the umbrella. What's the one that's the most troubling problem, but then where you seeing the most excitement coming and stemming from?
1: That's a great question. Um, I mean, the sourcing piece of it, the excitement from that is I think people are going to wean themselves off of purely like looking to China. And I think that means you're going to open some more opportunities of buying local and buying like the like made in the U.S., um, in North America as well, like Canada and and Mexico, I think Mexico right now is kind of hot in terms of like, is there a way to source? Um, I know a lot of textiles, they be sourced from like El Salvador and Honduras and, and stuff like that. And I think you're going to see a lot more of that happening. Um, I'm, I'm pretty excited. And then we keep forgetting that there's like a whole eastern hemisphere too, right? Like that's not, I mean, like when I say eastern hemisphere... I'm trying to think of my globe here, but I'm like the Europe, Africa, Middle East side, right? Oh, yeah. Like there's there's that side too that I think people keep forgetting about that we have like an Eastern seaboard as well. <laughs> and it's like, everything is just so focused because you know China has really upped their capabilities in the last 20 years. Um, but you're, I hope that that means you're gonna start to see some more diversification in where we source material and products from.
0: Well, and you're even hearing, I've heard the term pop-up port be used. And I didn't know that was a thing. I'm thinking pop-up shop, but pop-up port, I'm like, you can't just like sit on a coastline somewhere <laughs> randomly and start offloading on a boat. But um, it sounds like that there's more more being diverted to the Eastern ports. Like I know like Savannah, like I believe the Georgia coast, um, obviously Florida is pretty like 80% capacity. There, there's a lot in terms of that regards. And I think, oh, gosh, I don't know if it was the group that we're both in together or not, but the video that was shared for mutual fan Barkas Patty, he shared like the Texas governor and a lot of governors are trying to say, Hey, put your goods into our ports. Um, don't be in California put them in Texas and only takes an extra two weeks to get here or like very much broad stroking the issues at hand, right. Of don't let it sit in ports in California come to Texas and offload them there. There's a lot of different unfortunate factors of time trying to plan it out. Like you're, you're not, you can't just be a speedboat and change directions of a of a freighter all of a sudden. So that, that's where it's really tried to hard to understand like where is that innovation coming from? That's a big pain point for a lot of people. Is it is it for everyone though? And that, that's my question for you is, are everyone having those same struggles or is it just major people at scale that I feel like that there's a good core group of people that are like under the radar that have it already figured out that are not complaining because they have planned it They've seen this kind of come forward or they have plan B, C, and D already implemented. Do you have any like best case scenarios for your clients or other uh, like case studies that you've seen have like avoided these issues?
1: Um, that's a really good question. I, I'm not really involved in a lot of that for for the most part. There's only a couple of clients that I'm like pretty involved in like their, their day-to-day discussions you know when it comes to things around that um i do know that there is one that i know who has been you know sourcing from china for over 20 years and uh they anticipated this happening and so they over over ordered in early 2020 because they figured that this was going to happen and they still got hit with like waiting at the port for a while but now they have enough to tide them over for the next you know year and a half um so like you know, you you kind of have to have the money to buy that, right? You know, if you're typically you're doing like a hundred thousand unit orders from China, they had did like two hundred fifty thousand just to take care of this year. So there there are people who who have dealt with it before, um, and maybe not. I don't think that this this issue is unprecedented. But for example, people who really know how to deal with China prior to um like Chinese New Year, for example, and like making sure you get everything in before so whatever, and so. That that kind of know-how I think comes a lot with just experience. Um, but we're even seeing the big traditional conglomerate multinationals struggling at this point too. So I think there is just a global struggle. I mean, not think, like there clearly is a global struggle. Right. Whether or not there's some people who just were prescient enough to like really figure it out <laughs> prior, I'm sure there are out there. I I, I don't know of them though. Gotcha. Um
0: Staking with the diversification model and the little time we have left again if you are listening to this and you have different questions or comments about diversification or where to look to next again i think we've covered shopify and the exciting things that it's coming out with them i, th- I think there's lots of cool different features that they're integrating with um is there is there any other places and marketplaces that you're seeing Really emerge as a viable option to jump in early, whether it be on the same playing field of like a Walmart or your own Shopify stores or other ones that people are seeing lots of success on.
1: Yeah, I've never been able to make eBay work. I'm sure some people. I'm sure some people have. I just don't touch it. So that's just right. my personal opinion. Someone out there could be there and be like, "Yeah, we're crushing it on eBay." I'm like, "Good, good for you." Yeah.
0: Like, keep going. Keep, keep doing. Going. It.
1: Keep doing it. Um, I know a lot more like prettier female focused handmade stuff can work well on Etsy um, I don't know anyone who's really doing well selling on like the social network type you know like using social Instagram marketplaces shop and Facebook shop and stuff like that we, we I haven't seen anyone do really good work there but maybe that overlaps with Etsy a little bit I I, I don't know again those are not the channels that I'm very familiar with. For me, at the end of the day, everything should come back to Shopify or BigCommerce or your own channel, where you are in charge of your customer. You can email them when you want. You can retarget them when you want. <laughs> um, I'm sure things are a lot harder now with iOS 14 and like not being able to really do such detailed targeting that you used to be able to do. So that's so maybe when I say you could retarget them, you know, like as long as you have the first party list, you can, right? <laughs> um, You know things are harder and you're always going to and i think that's just kind of the nature of the game right there's always going to be some sort of regulation or some sort of impediment from the the um the platform that you're on right like talking about amazon like not being able to know who your customers are anymore or like not getting any information like these things are going to continue to happen and it's just about being able to like bob and weave and, and figure things out and that's why diversification is important because if one completely goes down, at least you have the other one to kind of tide you over, keep your employees hired, give you enough capital to at least keep the lights on while you fix and figure out the next move.
0: Absolutely. Well um, I know we talked about channel diversification. Do you ever have the conversation about product diversification oh, within all the a time. brand? All the time, okay. yeah. <laughs> so totally. what are like what are the what are the things that you hear from clients that you always hear and you're like, Either I, I have to constantly remind them it's, it's not a, a breath thing, it's more of a focus thing, or is there something you wish they would ask you before they hop on, either as a client or wish they would ask about before pursuing a different business venture or anything like that?
1: Um, I, I think a lot of times people get into the trap of if I add more SKUs, I add more sales. <laughs> and there is a huge cannibalization if all you're doing is adding colors or adding flavors, right? I think you could do some sort of extension to your brand with flavors and maybe a couple of the primary colors or changing them to like more modern colors, you know, that works. But if you're consistently launching new colors, unless you're like a shoe company or a, you know, a like a like a couch company, like a you know, furniture where color really matters. <laughs> like the difference between a green and a white tape measure or, you know, garlic press yeah, you know, you're not really going to extend the market that much. You're just giving people more options that might get someone who wasn't going to buy, buy, but it's not going to get someone who's going to like try to buy something else. You know? It's not a big lift. It's like not a yourself. big lift. But when you are entering something either complementary or even something competitive, that might be a good way to enhance and extend your brand. Um, if you're going from something like, Sugar free to sugar, or you know, sugar to sugar free, or (laughs) low calorie, like then you're extending your brand because you're getting people who wouldn't have purchased the original one. So, when you're thinking about diversification, you know, you have to have obviously you can't just launch a clothing company with black, right? You have to have your four or five colors that are going to account for 80% of your sales, but everything after that, you're just giving people more options. And then at some point, you might be giving people too many options, and then you get into that whole entire um analysis paralysis issue where they just don't buy anything because they have too many options and so you have to keep playing that game so definitely thinking about things um where you are launching when you're launching new products to your brand keeping them brand like within the same brand and actually like relevant to that brand um being something complementary that people can like either add on to the existing product or can use independently but still Follow, like if you have like a grilling company, right. And you have like a spatula, mm-hmm. like you probably also want to start figuring out a new type of grate or a new type of like <laughs> scrub, you know, something that you could, something that you could do. That's going to be part of the brand that extends the brand for a whole new customer set or
0: Absolutely. gets the,
1: gets the current customer set to buy another version of it. Cause they really like your current version.
0: That, that all makes sense. And I, I think obviously that's a customer because like, it depends on the the entrepreneur at that regards in the, I guess my final question for today would be: When people ask you, when I, when should I be ready and when should I diversify? When's the right time to know? Like, how how do I know? What do you tell people in that kind of question comes up?
1: I frankly don't think that I'm the right person to ask that question too, because I don't, I don't know <laughs> a lot of the. You don't time, know. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's a hard question, and I think it's kind is of it more, more of a feel. I think there's a lot of feel to it, but there's also there also is probably a time where you feel like you're capping out if you're plateauing, if you're doing well, but plateauing or you're just not doing well at all. And like, you just can't tell whether or not it's the product. Maybe at that time, it's time to look at something new. Um, I, I don't feel like I'm qualified, unfortunately, really in that in that aspect a lot. I know it's something that you have to always think about, but whether or not like when or what to do. Um, I, I think that I got in, uh, in discussions with, with the brands that I work with a lot based on when they try to launch a new bundle or a new product. And I say, I don't think I think you're just going to compete with yourself on this one or cannibalize. Um, and it turns out that it works perfectly. And I was like, well, I was wrong. And I'm glad I'm wrong. <laughs> and so I feel like i've been wrong as many times as i've been right on that one and so for me that's a push and i i don't have a qualification for it <laughs>
0: exactly well no i i think it's always up to the brand and like when they're ready they're ready whether it be monetarily wise or just um you know a feel lies I, I think like they, they can feel like they can take on more i always tell people if you're asking that question you're more likely there's no like metric that's going to tell you i'm ready to go like i'm going to hit a million dollars in sales in amazon now i'm going to move to a different country, or I'm going to move to a different, um, channel. I, I think it's all depending on what you can take on and what you feel comfortable with time, money, effort, and not to hurt yourself and what you've already built out. Right. So it, it's always up to the the business or the entrepreneur at that
1: juncture. Um, you, one more thing on that though, is yeah. like, and you notice this a lot with the more visionary type entrepreneurs or CEOs in the company is lots of them have shiny object syndrome (laughs) where they want to throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. And when you haven't even like completely dominated one, one part yet. And that one is something that I would advise against like going on Etsy for the sake of being on Etsy or going on eBay for the sake of channel diversification or going to, you know, Amazon, Australia, (laughs) like these are tiny, tiny, tiny markets, probably for a lot of brands. Now, so of course some brands might be great there, but at the end of the day, you have to look at like how much is really being transacted in this new channel. And if you have the time and dedication for that new channel, and if not, there's probably so many things that you can do. First of all, you have almost an infinite market. And I know that's not a right number, but Bear with me on this one, approaching infinity market on Shopify, because you have the US economy, right? (laughs) And you have, if you have a a decent market in terms of like, what you're trying to sell, right, we're talking billions in dollars in most in most subcategories. So if you're on Shopify, you technically have more than you can handle in one lifetime, (laughs) you know, not being a conglomerate. So you can still keep focusing on that and optimizing that and working on that for a long, long time before you have to jump into a new channel. Um, But of course we want you to jump into the new channels because if one goes down or iOS 15 comes and says no more retargeting or iOS 16 comes and no more retargeting, like, you know, at that stage, you're glad that you're on Amazon for your backstop. So view things with a backstop. I know probably very contradictory in this, in this conversation, but that's I think that's the nature of business. It is kind of contradictory. <laughs> just
0: you don't want to be a hundred or zero. I'm gonna summarize this probably podcast in one conversation or one sentence. You don't want to be a hundred percent in one channel, but you, it because it can go to zero, but you don't wanna be in a hundred different places where one goes down and you're you're just spread too thin across the board. So you want it so that if one shuts down, you still got revenue channels, you can turn up the heat, figure out what the problem is, and then fix that leak, if you will. So if it's one leak, it's probably going to feel like a fire hose if that's the only channel and you have to stop it or it's all going everywhere. But if it's just one tiny leak, you can fix that and you can bear the fruits of the other channels in the meantime. So I, I think that would be my summary of all of this as well. So, Totally. So, till, Yeah, so till, um, going into 2022, is there anything that is exciting with you in the final moments that we have here on the podcast?
1: I mean... I think this is a a call call back to the beginning of our conversation where we're we're just trying to figure out who we are in this ecosystem. And I hope in 2022, we have like a pretty good set of what I want brand together to really be versus what it is right now, which is leaving kind of like a lot of the day-to-day stuff. Um, We don't really do a lot of day-to-day Amazon stuff. We really try to train and help the operators in their companies do what they need to do because- I don't believe that. And, and this is comes from back when I was working at the energy drink. And even before when I was working at that HIT company, like being able to have continuity. And if any agency holds things proprietary and doesn't tell you what they're doing, or like they, they make changes without telling you why they're making those changes, they're doing that so they can keep you in golden handcuffs. And so for us, we like to really explain what we do and why we do it for the most part, um, in order to allow you to have that continuity. Um, now, of course, not every single thing, because some things you just kind of do on the fly or there's some things that like you learned from somewhere that you're not really going to tell. And so you don't tell all of the things, but you do tell enough to have them feel comfortable that, you know, you they can move on to somewhere else.
0: Amazing. And then uh, if people want to get in touch with you or if they have a questions, what's the best way to do that if they want to? connect with you. You say you have a moratorium on new clientele, but if they want to connect with you and just touch base, how do they I, do that?
1: I'll always take the call. So you can go to brandtogether.io. Um, you can email me at talal at um, or just hit me up on, on LinkedIn, just search for Talal Assad. I'm the one with my face up and I was shaven. So that's, that's my picture on that one. <laughs>
0: maybe, maybe Talal, if you will, like before, before COVID hit, before we all had to grow <laughs> and had facial hairs. No, that's oh, okay. awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say. Well, thank you so much. Um, obviously, I've learned a lot from you today, and then the, just so many different parts that you've been touching. It's that it's that mentality in the background that can help point people in the right direction, which is really cool. And I love hearing your thoughts on the space in the industry and where the growth is going to happen all the time on um, our other little channels that we have going on. So it's a pleasure to talk with you on this ch- uh, on this channel and uh, talk about channel diversification for our other listeners and clients that are listening and watching us say. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Awesome. Well, again, uh, let me go ahead. And if you hang on right there, I'll uh, come back to you before I sign off right now. Again, thank you to of Asad of, uh, of Brain Together. Again, thank you for everyone who is watching us on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter. Again, it's, this is your first time or 179th episode that you've joined me in my corner of the internet. We appreciate it. And if you like us, go ahead and rate us. Uh, with a thumbs up or give a good rating on your favorite podcast channel. And again, there's lots of different competition, com- not competitions, awards that are being recognized for thought leaders in the space, both on service industry side, on uh, software side, YouTube channel, podcast. If you if you care to do that, you can do that. Um, go to solarpool.com and vote. If you really like Crossover Commerce, please go ahead and do that. Write us in there. Um, it'd be cool to um, see how people take this information. Again, we've been putting so much out there for you the listener who is trying to learn more about Amazon or e-commerce diversification, especially today, um, and trying to grow your brand or business. We'd appreciate that. But this is our mission, what we will always try to do here on this podcast. That being said, this is Friday. I hope you all have a great weekend. Have a safe uh, weekend. Make sure that uh, you tune in again or set notifications for future episodes. We have a jam-packed week ahead of us next week, uh, starting on Tuesday. I'll be doing two episodes live, one with a round table, and another with um, uh, another individual. So they're going to get a, a double double Tuesday. I haven't called it anything specific yet, but make sure you tune in live and you can listen to that round table we're going to talk about. Make sure your business is being profitable and how do you do that before an exit. And then the second um, episode is going to be around, um, ever. Uh, let me go ahead and look real quick. It's overcoming the obstacles that Amazon throws your way. So that that is another one we're going to be talking about. Um, with Microwise and my roundtable is going to be with uh, friends of the show, Ben Leonard, Chris Schifferling, and Yoni Kuzminski. Um, All guys have been on the show multiple times. So we're going to be talking about um, what makes a brand profitable and valuable and sellable. So with that being said, this is Crossover Commerce. We'll catch you guys next time in my corner of the internet. Take care.